Hi, I'm Kim Eaton, and this is The Definition of a Hero, a bi-monthly podcast that shares the stories of families impacted by childhood cancer. It seemed only fitting that the pilot episode for this podcast be our story. Well, my daughter's story, Angel. Angel was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma in October 2013. She was 15 years old, and she had just started her sophomore year in high school. Um, Angel was crazy. (laughs) Um, She was beautiful. She was super talented. She loved music. She was definitely a unique individual, and she definitely danced to the sound of her own drum. She um, loved art. She loved Broadway. She wanted to do makeup on Broadway. That was her dream. And so her whole life was just about being her and being unique and being fun. And so um, cancer was something, of course, we'd heard about, but we never really paid much attention to in terms of it happening to kids. Uh, We had um, family members, of course, that had been diagnosed. My mother had passed away with ovarian cancer when Angel was only six months old. So cancer definitely has impacted our family already. And so I was well aware of what cancer could do to families. But again, I never imagined that it would be my daughter who was diagnosed. And so October 23rd, 2013, it was homecoming week at school and Angel was all excited and dressing up and it was actually nerd day. I will never forget. Um, she had her suspenders on and these big thick horn rim glasses and she was so excited to dress up for homecoming. And I got a phone call while I was at work and it was her school nurse saying that she was having trouble breathing and that it was hurting her to breathe. And so I thought, okay, well, I guess this is a big deal. I really have no clue. She had always been totally healthy. So I had no idea really what to think or what to expect. And then her nurse said that her O2 levels were down in like the 80s, which again, I didn't know anything about this. And so I assumed that that was not good. And so I asked um, if I needed to come get her and take her to the clinic. And she said, yes, that would be a good idea. So I got in my car, went to pick her up from school. We went to American Family Clinic right down the street and we got there and the doctor that was in the clinic that day totally freaked out and started yelling at me because I had brought my child to the clinic and she said that she was having chest pains and trouble breathing and her O2 levels were that low and I should have taken her right to the emergency room. And of course, I'm just standing there looking like a complete moron because I have no clue. I very nicely apologized and she called, I guess she called 911. But the next thing we know, there is like a million like fire trucks, ambulances, paramedics, all of these people pulling up into the clinic. Angel is totally terrified and just looking at me like, am I dying? What's going on, mom? And totally freaked out. And so all these paramedics and firefighters come in and they start working on her and looking her over and taking care of her. And they don't seem totally stressed out at all. They don't seem like there's a really big deal. It's no big problem. And so they get her in the ambulance. We start driving down to the ER. The paramedics in the ambulance were super nice. And by the time we got to the ER, her stats had leveled out and everything seemed to be good. So we didn't think anything else of it. So we get to the ER, we get in this room. Of course, there's a bunch of other people in this room with us. We're not in a private room, unfortunately. And the ER doc comes in and she's just, you know, hey, probably maybe a little bit of pneumonia, bronchitis, something like that. So we'll get an x-ray, see what's going on. So we've been in there for quite a while. Angel, of course, is making goofy faces, just acting crazy like she always does. Um, We actually knew a couple of 
people at the ER. We knew a couple of nurses, so they were coming by and saying hi. And then we get the chest x-ray. We figured we'd be waiting a really long time for that. So wasn't expecting anything to come by soon. And then the next thing I know, I see the radiologist outside talking to our ER doc. And they both looked toward the room that we're in. And the second that happened, I knew something was wrong. And I didn't know exactly what, but I knew this was not just something simple like bronchitis or pneumonia. And then the ER doc comes over. She comes in the room. At this point, it's just us in there. And then she closes the door. And then she comes and she kind of leans a little bit closer toward the bed. And she just says, there was something on the x-ray that was suspicious. They found a mass. I think I just stopped hearing everything after that. Just my mind just kind of went blank. They wanted to transfer to Children's of Alabama, of course. There could be many, many reasons why that would be, you know, infection, whatever. So we're waiting. Ambulance comes, takes her up to Children's. The only only doctors we saw were oncologists. We didn't see infectious disease. We didn't see anybody else. We just saw oncologists. And... I kind of guess I figured, I don't know, maybe at that moment that that's really apparently what they were thinking it was. It wasn't going to be anything else. And so that was our first night. We still, of course, didn't know for sure. There wasn't like a definite, yes, this is definitely what we're dealing with. But that was a night that our lives completely changed forever. (laughs) It was, it was horrible. And at the same time, it was just... I don't know. You just, you can't imagine anything like it and your world just stops and stands still. But then at the same time, it seems to be just rushing by you and you hear all these people talking and nurses and doctors asking questions and you're being thrown all this information and you have no clue. Like your mind is just stopped working and you have no idea what they're saying, what's going on. You're just looking at your child and you're trying to figure out how in the world could this be happening to you? And even though we are not strangers to cancer, but never in a million years did I think that my child would ever be told she had cancer. The rest of that year, of course, was just insane. She started chemo. We had chemo. They wanted to shrink the tumor as much as they possibly could before they tried to do surgery. The tumor was located on the lining of a rib cage, and so it was a little tricky to get there. And so we had lots of chemo, and then the end of February, they went in and they removed the tumor along with three ribs, and then we had radiation and chemo together combined after that. And that was probably probably one of the worst times for Angel was because the radiation combined with the chemo was just so strong. Um, I think we ended up in the hospital for most of those six weeks we were in the hospital because she was just so sick. And then we finished up chemo and she had her final scans in January 20. Oh my goodness. That would be 2015. And Everything came back and they said there was no evidence of disease. So life was great. (laughs) We were so excited. Um, We could finally sort of get back to normal. She could try to start regaining her energy, regaining her strength, trying to get back to life. And she could go back to school and try to catch up to that and start being with her friends again. And, you know, I can go back to work. (laughs) And so um, we were really, really, really excited to be able to do that. And so we had 15 months, 15 wonderful, amazing months where Angel was just Angel. Um, But the cancer changed her a lot. Um, She didn't fit in 
with her friends anymore. She didn't really fit in anywhere anymore. Um, she still had cancer. Everybody still knew her as the girl who had cancer. And when you're a teenage girl, that's a really hard thing to live with. Um, we still had lots of friends, of course, going through treatment. We had friends who passed away and survivors get guilt is real. Um, she felt it. I felt it. Um, every time we had a friend that got bad news, of course, both of us felt really bad. And, you know, you always, there's this thought in the back of your head as a parent that, you know, that could be my child because regardless of whether you get through it the first time, it can always come back or another type of cancer can come back or she could have other health issues because of course the chemo that they throw in your body causes all kinds of problems down the road possibly. So the worry never goes away. Like your life is never normal again. You never get back to what you were before you heard the words cancer. So we just tried to enjoy it. And 15 months, we had 15 great months. And in those 15 months, surprise, I ended up getting pregnant. Um, it was definitely a surprise. Um, my daughter at this point was 18 years old. I was not planning on more children. And so this was a very, very, very big shock, um, but also a very big blessing. And I know there was a reason for it. The pregnancy was the most amazing thing that could have happened. My daughter had always wanted to be a big sister. Like she always wanted to have a sibling and it just wasn't in the cards for me. And so she was always so angry at me when all of her friends would, you know, have brothers and sisters. And she'd be like, mama, you need to go get me a brother or sister. I want a brother or sister. And I'm like, okay, I can't just go to Target and pick one up, honey. But yeah, so I finally got pregnant. And she was 18 and super excited. And she helped me get the nursery ready. And we were, you know, trying to figure out if it was going to be a boy or a girl. And she was betting it was going to be a girl because she wanted a baby sister so bad. And so things were going really good. She was going to be graduating. You know, the spring started and everything was going great. We had our 15-month scans. Everything was clear. Um, things were great. And then about three weeks after her 15-month scans... April 6th, my dad took her to the ER because her stomach was hurting her really bad. And we've been having some stomach problems, but they could never figure out what's going on. So he took her back to the ER and they did another x-ray and the ER doc came in and said that there was something suspicious on her abdomen and it looked like there was a mass or something like in her abdomen or under diaphragm. She sent that, of course, off to her oncologist at Children's. We left and we started heading home and we went to Chick-fil-A drive-thru and um, my other little one that was growing inside had a big thing for strawberry milkshakes from Chick-fil-A. So we got those a lot. And as we were sitting in the drive-thru line, her oncologist called us and told us that it was definitely something that she was concerned about. It was definitely possibly a relapse. And so we were going to go back to Children's the next day to start doing some more scans and figuring out what was going on. The next day we woke up and we did that. We did PET scan and as we were driving home, the doctor had called and she was giving us the results and we were passing the Mercedes exit <laughs> coming back to Tuscaloosa and I got off the phone with the oncologist and Angel just looked at me and she just said, mom, I can't do this again. And so she started crying and my daughter does not cry at all and neither do I most of the time. Um, but she started crying and I had to pull over and just hold her because she was so scared. And she just said, over and over, I can't do this again. I can't do this again. I don't want to die. And so we sat there for quite a while and then um, got back in the car and got behind the wheel again, turned the music up, full blast, put the windows down and 
just started singing at the top of our lungs and drove the rest of the way home. And so that was her moment. She had to have a moment. She had to kind of just lose it a little bit. And then she was good. She was ready to go. She was ready to start fighting again. And of course, I was right there with her because that's my girl. And so we got home and we got her ready to go to prom the next day. She got all dolled up, put on her awesome prom dress. She was going with her friends. She wasn't going with the guy this year. It was her senior prom. She just wanted to go with her friends, hang out and have some fun. And so she did that and she had a blast. Then we had a -a Make-A-Wish party the next day because I was volunteering with Make-A-Wish as a um, wish coordinator. Had a great time there. And then that following week, we started back with everything else. So we went back and did some more scans, came up with a plan. They had to do a biopsy, got a report put back in, and then everything started over again. And then from the very beginning, it was never about curing her cancer. Her doctor was very upfront with us and said that the way things were looking, um, the cancer just spread. It was everywhere. And so it was never about curing her cancer. It was about trying to find something that would keep it stable and stop it from growing so she could still be around and enjoy life until something more could be done or something else could be found. And so we knew from the beginning that we weren't looking at completely getting rid of it, but just finding something that could stop it. And so we had a lot of hard conversations with doctors. We heard many, many, many times the quality of life speech. And that was really hard on her and on me. (laughs) Because when she's 18 years old, she's technically an adult. And so we agreed from the beginning that it was her decision. I wanted her to, you know, have all of the options and know exactly what she was thinking about doing and, you know, understood what she was going to do. But it was her choice and her decision. And I wanted her to be able to make that decision. We had lots of conversations about what would happen. And so it was her decision. And that was probably one of the hardest things for me was letting her make those decisions. Because everything within me, of course, was like, no, no, we're going to fight. It's going to, you know, we're going to win this. It's no big deal. We're going to fight it. And things were things were okay. Like we tried um, a couple different drugs. They put her on a couple different trials. One study um, started off okay, but then it kept messing with her system. And so she ended up in the ICU two times. Times, um, during that study. So they finally had to pull her off of it because it was just messing her up so much. Um, so the side effects were just way, way, way too harsh for her to handle those. And then they put her on another one and we were able to actually be home for quite a bit for that unless she ended up getting sick and we ended up being hospitalized. So a lot of the drugs was um, just oral chemo that she got to do at home. So that was really good because of course I was also very much pregnant at this time. And so we were getting closer and closer to delivery date. Yay. And so she of course was very excited. And so definitely God knew what he was doing when he blessed me with this other beautiful baby that was growing inside me because she was a huge, huge blessing. She helped keep our attention on other things. She helped both of us, you know, continue to be happy and not get so down and dark and depressed about everything else going on. We did find out it was a girl. We were very excited about that. And we decided we were going to name her Autumn Brooks. We were just getting ready for her and buying baby clothes and decorating nursery and having a blast, just getting ready for her. She helped pull together the baby shower for me with two amazing friends and just, you know, enjoyed life as much as we could. She graduated high school. She actually got to walk across, well, it was on the football field. So it technically wasn't a stage, but she got to walk to get her diploma. Um, She was wheeled out onto the field and back, but she got to walk to get her diploma. And she was so excited. My older brother and sister-in-law and nephew actually flew in as a surprise from Colorado and we hadn't seen them in ages. And so we were very, very excited about that. It was the first time she got to meet her cousin, Joey. So um, she was so happy. And things were, I mean, we were doing okay. Things were going pretty 
good. And then they weren't. Um, She ended up getting really sick again. The cancer was spreading and things just weren't going the way we needed them to go. So July 25th, the plan was she was going to go home on hospice. And so we had talked to the doctors and we had talked to the hospice team and Angel and I had talked a lot and they just didn't have anything else they could do. And so they were going to send her home on hospice. And so I had a doctor's appointment that morning in Tuscaloosa. And so I knew I really needed to get to that doctor's appointment because I was really near the end of my pregnancy. Um, And since I was also much older, (laughs) they didn't like me missing um, doctor's appointments very often. I drove down to Tuscaloosa. The plan was I'd go to the appointment. I'd drive back up to Birmingham. Um, The nurses were going to help her get ready. And then we were going to load up the car and then come home that afternoon and get situated with hospice and everything at home. So I drove down to Tuscaloosa that morning to go to my doctor's appointment. And when I got to my doctor's office, my water broke. (laughs) Because, you know, we can't do anything normal. So my water broke. Ended up going to DC to hopefully deliver my baby very soon. And so I have my oldest child, my my first baby, up at Children's, trying to figure out how we're going to get her down to Tuscaloosa. Hospice is supposed to be involved. The nurses, her doctor, everybody was so amazing getting everything worked out. She gets down to Tuscaloosa. So I'm in the hospital in labor. I finally get Angel with me and all is right in my world, of course. So I have my first baby with me. I'm about to have my second baby. And so everything is, you know, other than being in labor, everything is great. <laughs> and so I was ready to have this baby. So July 25th, yay, this is going to be the her birthday. Well, of course, Autumn Brooks decided she didn't want to come out quite yet. So she stayed inside for a little bit longer. And they finally ended up having to do an emergency C-section the following day on the 26th because she just didn't want to come. But the most amazing thing about this was the hospital worked it out so Angel could actually come into the operating room with me. And she was actually in there when they did the C-section. So she got to be one of the first people to see her little sister being born. And it was such an amazing moment for her and I to experience together. And I have pictures of her (laughs) right up there by my head. And um, she is so happy and so excited. And I don't think anything could have topped that. And so that was really, really awesome. We had the baby. They actually set Angel up in a room in DCH so she was able to be there. There were some challenges. It was not easy. Um, She couldn't be with me and she was very, very upset because she could not be in the room with me. And so there were some major issues. The medication they had her on was not right. And I was so out of it from having a baby that I wasn't really completely thinking too clearly about the medication they did have her on. So we had some struggles um, while we were in the hospital. And then we got home, things started to calm down a little bit. She, I mean, she was 18. So I mean, she was an adult. And so she was a very stubborn, wanted to do her own thing, didn't want anybody to tell her what she could and couldn't do wasn't completely understanding that her body wasn't going to allow her to do the things that she wanted to do. And so she just wanted to be a big sister and take care of her sister and carry her around and feed her and do everything that she had planned on doing her entire life. And a lot of those things she really couldn't do um, as well as she wanted to. And so she got really upset. It was stressful. It was great being home with both of my girls, but it was also stressful. And then on top of all of that, I ended up with a staph infection. And so I was incredibly sick for the first week or so after we got home. I couldn't keep anything down. I lost a ton of weight. I couldn't move. I was so, so sick. I had two amazing friends who basically moved into my house in addition to hospice to help me because I couldn't help myself at that point. Um, They finally took me back to the doctor and they found out I had staph. And so 
so they took me back to the hospital into the operating room they had to open up my c-section clean it all out and then I got a wound back yay those things are so not fun if anybody's ever had one I'm so sorry so I had a wound back and I had that for about six weeks and it was horrible they had a nurse that had to come out and help clean it out it made it really difficult to really enjoy those first couple of weeks with both of my girls and I hate that because that was the time that was supposed to be our special time together and I was just so sick and hurting that I couldn't really enjoy it and really grasp that time with them we got through that and Angel just of course kept going downhill and um, her body kept you know getting weaker and organs were starting to shut down she lasted so much longer than anybody thought she was going to the week of September 9th she ended up falling um, at the house because she of course is not a little child so I can't really carry her around anymore and she was trying to get something or do something and she got tangled in her IV wires and things. And so she ended up falling and she didn't get hurt. But when that happened, like it really scared me because I can't physically hold her and pick her up. And so I called her oncologist and we talked about it. And he said that she was more than willing. Of course, she was more than welcome to come back to the hospital. And so I talked to her about it and asked her, she said she wanted to go home and she wanted to go back home to be with her family. When she said that, it just kind of broke my heart. The fact that she considered the hospital and she considered a quarterback and the nurses and the doctors, her family is a wonderful thing, but it's also just heartbreaking to me because that's not what any child should think of as home. But she had spent so much time there and the nurses and the doctors really were like a family to her and to me. So it was home for her. And so that's where she wanted to go. And that's where she wanted to be. And so that's where we went. So we packed everything up and we went back up to Children's. Um, one of the organizations that had helped us quite a bit through this um, had an apartment. So Autumn, Brooks and I, because of course Autumn was only like six and a half weeks old, we could run back to the apartment and sleep there at night and then run back out to the hospital and be there all day with Autumn and Angel. I had several friends and Angel had a couple of friends that would come out to the hospital to stay with her at night. So I would be able to go and sleep with Autumn and take care of Autumn as well. That was about nine days, eight days. And then September 17th was a Saturday. We had tons of people, tons of friends and family that came and they were in the room with us. We were just hanging out, talking. Angel was pretty much asleep. She I don't think ever really did wake up. She was asleep most of the day, actually all day. And then we had praise and worship music going and, you know, we were just hanging out and being together and talking to Angel and just being together and being a family together. I had people from my Bible study class. Um, we had some Angel's friends, some of her friends that she met at Smile a Mile, which is a camp for kids with cancer. And we had just, you know, some of her friends from school came to visit. So we just had a lot of people that would come in and out. And so all night, stayed up all night long by her bed, just holding her hand, singing to her. Doctors, nurses would come in and out. There were several times when we thought she was going to go. She'd start coughing really bad. And they were like, okay, it's going to be soon. It's going to be soon. And she still kept on fighting. And so the next day, Sunday, September 18th, she was still going and one of our nurses, Amanda, um, one of Angel's favorite nurses and one of my best friends asked if I wanted some time alone with her. And I said, yes. So she shooed everybody out of the room and she just asked everybody to step out so I could have some time. And then she and another nurse helped move Angel over so I could crawl into the bed with her. And then I just wrapped my arms around her and I held her and I just talked to her. 
And I told her how much I loved her and how beautiful she was and how proud I was to be her mom and how tired I knew she had to be and that I was going to be fine and that Autumn was going to be fine. And if she wanted to go, that it was going to be okay, that she could go and that we would be okay, but we would miss her and we loved her so very much. And so I just laid there with her for a little while. Our oncologist came in just for a second and just sat next to her bed and just held her hand, didn't say anything. He just sat there and held her hand and then he got up and then he went out. And then those two women who helped basically take care of her the last, you know, six, seven weeks, they came in and we were talking and just kind of talking and laughing a little bit. And the next thing I knew, her breathing had quieted down and she wasn't rattling and she wasn't struggling. It was just really quiet and really easy and really soft. And her nurse just looked and she was like, yeah, she's like, it's coming now. Sure enough, she just stopped. And so like 12.45, September 18th, she took her last breath in my arms and I never thought I could feel anything that painful in my life. But holding your child as she takes her last breath, even though you know she's not hurting anymore, it just, it, you lose piece of yourself. And as cheesy as that might sound, and as cliche as that might sound, it literally felt like a piece of my heart died with her. The rest of that week was a blur. I went home. My Bible study class had already gone there. They tried to clean everything up, make it look like, you know, hospice hadn't lived with us for the past seven weeks. And just tried to get everything out of the hospital room and just kind of put it in her bedroom. And we just shut the door because there's no way I was going to be able to go in that bedroom anytime soon. The funeral arrangements and the visitation and the funeral, everything was just a blur. And I really don't remember a lot of it. I remember waking up the next morning. And I think that was the hardest thing was waking up that next morning and I just started screaming and my two friends were still there and they came running into the room and they were just holding me and they understood exactly what was going on because it was just all of a sudden it was real the night before it was just like a nightmare and it just felt like a dream and then when I woke up and then it was real it like really sunk in that it was real she was not here got through that week got through the next week and I had Autumn Brooks. So of course I couldn't really shut down. I couldn't disappear. Um, I had a two month old that I had to take care of and I had depending on me. And so I couldn't just crawl into a hole and die with her as much as I wanted to sometimes. We just had to get through it and we had to keep living and we had to keep surviving. And so we made it through. We got through the first week, the second week, the first month, the second month. We got through the first holidays. We got through the first year, every holiday, every day, every milestone, every date <laughs> um, was hard. And that first year I thought, okay, we made it through the first year. We're going to be great now. We got through that first year. And then honestly, the second year I think was probably even harder because that first year you're just so, there's so much anticipation of how, how tough everything is going to be for that first time. And so you're thinking you get through the first, so the second year is going to be so much better. But then it was almost like, okay, well, it wasn't better. <laughs> so it was really really kind of, I don't know, it was just really confusing why it didn't feel any better. And I had serious, serious troubles and I was really depressed that second year and I really, really struggled. We started a foundation, Angel's Hope, about a month after she passed away. The reason we did that was because it was it was her foundation. It was her idea. It was everything that she had been doing while she was alive. It was things that she and I talked about. It was her dream to do this. And so it was really easy to actually get it going afterwards because we didn't have to really work too much to come up with the mission or a vision and, you know, a plan. Like we had everything already laid out 
just based on what she wanted. So that part was easy. And then of course, you know, becoming the 501c3 was a little bit more difficult, but hey, we got there too. That helped a lot. Um, That probably was one of the biggest things that helped me keep sane. (laughs) That and of course, having Autumn Brooks. And so it's hard to be sad. It's hard to be depressed when you have this beautiful baby that looks at you and you know how much your first baby wanted that baby. And so every time I would get depressed and I would just want to crawl in a ball and just disappear from the world, I would look at Autumn Brooks and I would think how mad Angel would be at me. And so it would push me to keep going. And not to say that I did not lay in bed and cry myself to sleep almost every night. I used to worry so much that Autumn would think I was the most depressing mother in the world because I cry so much because it just hits at random times. And even now it's been like three and a half years and which is still not a long time, but it's been three and a half years. And it's still every birthday, every milestone, every anniversary date. Um, it's just so hard. And I still have nightmares. They don't come as often, but I still have nightmares of just that last night. Um, I have what they call the, the death rattle is what she had. And her oncologist even told me that day, that night that that sound was going to haunt me for the rest of my life. And he was right. I hear it in my sleep. I hear it when I'm awake and I'm kind of daydreaming. Like I will just hear the sound of her breathing that last night. And it's horrible. Like it is the worst sound in the world. And so I have nightmares where I just hear that and she's just struggling and she can't breathe and I can't get to her. And I have those nightmares over and over and over and they don't go away. They don't come as often as they did, but they don't go away. I still get them. Um, probably at least once a month I still have them. It could be any time. It could be I'm watching a movie or I'm watching something and a trailer comes on for a movie that I know she would have loved. Or I get news that one of her friends is getting married or they're about to have a baby or they're doing something fabulous with their life. And I think about all of the things that she does not get to experience. She never got to go to Broadway to do makeup and she never got married and she never got to have babies and all of those things that she missed out on because she is forever 18. So I am so very grateful that she got to graduate high school. At least we got one of those major milestones in. So I'm grateful for that. And I'm so grateful that she got to finally have her little sister and she got to hold her and be there and love her. And I know she will always be there for her. Just not physically where we want her to be. It's just, it's a different life. And so now there's a part of me that's always going to be missing and a part of me that's always going to be gone. And I still have to survive and I still have to live because I have another little girl who depends on me to be a good, happy mother. And so I try to do that. And so I tell my story because that is how I survive. I can't keep it bottled up. I have to share it. And I'm also a writer. And so that's how I cope with things is I write them down. And so I've used social media quite often to help share how I'm feeling, to post memories, to help get through those really hard times. And I've kind of come to the realization that if people don't like it, they can unfriend me. This is what I need to do to get through. Um, I've changed a lot since I lost Angel. And so my perspective on life is very different. Um, Life is way too short to worry about what people think of you. I love life. I love being able to go on adventures with Autumn Brooks and being able to show her things and let her experience things. I love telling her stories about her sister. I love playing her her sister's favorite music. Well, 
not all of her sister's favorite music because some of it's not appropriate for Autumn. But um, I love just showing her pictures and showing her videos and just teaching her about her sister. And we do so much stuff together. Like we always go on adventures and I take her places that her sister used to like. And then we also go to new places because I want her to be able to experience new things and not just feel like she's living in her sister's shadow. So we do new things too. And so I try to keep the traditions that I had with Angel with Autumn, but then we also try to start our own traditions as well. So it's a really hard balancing act, but I'm hoping that I'm kind of achieving it. Uh, We still have the foundation. I love the foundation. I love being able to work with these children and these families, but it's still tough because you still get close to these kids and they still don't all survive. So you still lose friends and you still lose these children. And it's like a knife going into your heart every time it happens because you do get close to them and you do know what the family feels. You know what that mama and that dad's going through. And so it's really painful. So life has definitely gotten different for me. It looks different. But honestly, I I never would have survived any of this without my faith. Um, that's the one thing I am very excited about is going through all of this with Angel has definitely brought me closer to the Lord. And when she died, I uh, was interviewed by a reporter and he just asked if I had anything I wanted to share. And honestly, what I shared was very simple. Our kids are not ours. They have always been God's or God's children. And I was just fortunate enough that he thought I would be a good mother to Angel. And so he let me have her for a little bit. Now, it definitely wasn't as long as I wanted, but at least I got her for the time that I had her. And I'm so, so happy to have had that. She changed my life. And I know she changed the lives of many others. I have to share her story. And this podcast is not just about sharing her story, but it's sharing the stories of all children and families who have been impacted by childhood cancer. Because being able to tell your story is very therapeutic. It really helps you to heal whether your child is still going through treatment, if they've made it through and they're doing great, or even if they've passed away, you need to be able to tell that story. One, you want people to know about your child, especially if they've passed away. You want their name to stay alive and you want people to know that they lived and that they existed. And then if you're going through treatment, you feel like you're alone. That world, unless you've been through it, it's so hard for people to understand. And so being able to tell the story at least helps a little bit. It helps people who aren't in that life to at least get a small glimpse into it. And that helps these families. And so this podcast is really meant to share those stories. It's meant to share the good times and the bad times and the anxiety-filled moments and just the moments of joy and moments of pure heartbreak. It's meant to share all of that. And so I really hope you will tune in and listen. I have an assortment of families and I really hope you will listen to their stories and take something away from it because I guarantee you, your life will be forever changed when you hear some of these stories. So thank you very much very much for joining in and I hope to hear from some of you soon. Thanks for listening to the definition of a hero. If you'd like to connect with us, email angelshope619 at gmail.com. And don't forget, if you like the show, please rate, review, and spread the word.